Let's open our Bibles, please, to Psalm 135. And we just got part of the way through with this psalm. We got down to verse 12. Psalm 135, verse 12. And it says, And gave their land for an heritage, and heritage unto Israel his people. And we talked about in our last lesson how that he gave Israel a literal inheritance of the land. But the Bible teaches that we have a spiritual inheritance. The Bible says that Christ has begotten us again into a lively or living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now listen, unto an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away. And then it says, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith and to salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. That's in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3, I believe, through 5. So we have an inheritance that's incorruptible. We have an inheritance that's reserved. We have the assurance because we are kept by the power of God unto that inheritance. And so he gave their land for an heritage, and heritage unto Israel is people. Now look at verse 13. It says, Thy name, O Lord, endureth forever, and thy memorial, O Lord, throughout all generations. I think most of us are familiar with Psalm 90 that says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. We believe that God is the eternal. We believe that Christ, the Son of God, is eternal, the eternal Son of God. And I think we pointed out one time that there, if we confess that there is an eternal Father, then we have to uh, admit that there's an eternal Son. Because you're only as old as uh, a father as your son is a son. And so the eternal sonship upholds the eternal fatherhood of God. And the Bible says in John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It says all things were made by Him. Without Him there was not anything made that was made. He's creator of all things. He's pre-existent, co-existent, and self-existent. And then it tells us in verse 14, And the Word became flesh. We're quoting John chapter 1. And dwelt among us. So that which became flesh and dwelt among us was in the beginning, was with God and was God. So we believe Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. He was born of a virgin. He was laid in a manger. And Micah 5, 2 says, Whose goings forth have been from the days of eternity. Speaking in prophecy of the place of the birth of Christ. Alright, verse uh, uh, 14, notice what it says. It says, For the Lord will judge His people, and He will repent Himself concerning His servants. In other words, He's going to mingle mercy. He mixes mercy with judgment in dealing with His people. God is merciful to His people. He does not deal with us in a strict and vengeful way. In Psalm 103, there are many verses that would always apply to this. In uh, verse 8, it says this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. Verse 10 says, He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. <clears throat> For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. Then He says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. That's a quite a distance, isn't it? You know why? You can't catch it any way you go at it. East is east and west is west and never the twain shall meet. 
He didn't say as far as the north is from the south, did he? Or we'd go to the North Pole and we'd say we'd catch up with our sins. He didn't say as we could go to the South Pole and catch up with our sins. But you go east and you go east. You just keep going around the globe and you're still going around and round and round. And you go west and you do the same thing. And we know that if you go consider our globe and look at the equator, well, you know that you do not change directions. You just keep going. So uh, we find that, by the way, one time speaking of that and crossing the international date line, there is a line, vertical line on the globe. I had a Thanksgiving dinner on a Thursday, which on the regular Thanksgiving day, and they had the big menu on the on the the menu out in the in the order of the day posted. The order of the day said Thursday, Thanksgiving day, so and so, and so. You know, the Navy's very strict about changing that order of the day every day. I mean, it's changed. And I thought, well, I really caught them this next day. It said Thursday, Thanksgiving Day. It said Thanksgiving dinner, 12 o'clock. I thought, boy, they goofed up. They had a brand new set of turkeys and all fixed up, you know, no leftovers. <laughs> I mean, and I had two Thanksgiving days, one right after the other. And they were, because during the night we'd cross the international date line. It was Thursday again. Thursday and Thursday. And I like that. I wish we could have planned it that way. I, I wonder if they planned it that way. But anyway, it turned out that way. So you can catch up to the dates, but you can't catch up to the east or west going around the globe. Where were we? In verse 13, of the, we're quoting from Psalm 103 and talking about the mercy of God. And it says in verse 13, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. So he's sympathetic. He shows mercy to us. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. He considers what we are in extending his mercy. So he mixes mercy with judgment. Look back in our psalm. Hold your place in the psalm that we're studying. Psalm 135. Hold your place there. And then if we give you references, you may turn. And if you just want to listen without turning, just tie it in with the verse we're teaching. But verse 14 says... For the Lord will judge His people, and He will repent Himself concerning His service. Now, there's going to be a judgment for God's people, uh, even in the future. Uh, The judgment seat of Christ. Uh, Paul says, we shall all appear or stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to give an account of the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or bad. We're going to be judged according to our works. It says, a man's work shall be tried, so is by fire. The fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. They'll be like gold, silver, precious stone, or wood, hay, or stubble. And the gold, silver, precious stones will stand the test of fire, and the wood, hay, and stubble will go up in smoke. But they'll see if we're to receive a reward. And when you read in the book of Revelation, the fourth chapter, you'll find that uh, indicative of the rapture, as John says, he was caught up to the third heaven. He heard a voice say, uh, caught up to heaven. He says, a voice said, come up hither. And he saw a throne, and he says, a rainbow round about the throne. A rainbow round about the throne. And what does this mean? That means that that judgment, it says in the Psalms that his throne is made for judgment. He set his throne in the heavens. And his throne is for judgment. But a rainbow round about the throne indicates that what God has already judged, he will not judge again. It's his covenant. It's his promise. He told Noah, he said, I'm going to put a bow in the clouds. And he says, that means I'm not going to judge this earth that I've already judged in the same way I did. I'll I'll permit it to go on. He knew that wickedness was in the earth, and he had judged the 
man upon the earth at that time in Noah's day. But he gave Noah this bow in the cloud for a covenant of promise and a, and a symbol of that covenant. And so when we come to the book of Revelation and we find that there's a throne set in heaven, knowing that throne's for judgment, knowing God's people will stand before that throne, yet we know that He is going to mingle judgment with mercy for us. Now, there's another judgment in Revelation chapter 20 that speaks of that great white throne judgment wherein the wicked dead shall stand before God and they shall all be cast out whose names are not found written in the, in the book of life because uh, the, the wicked dead, see, the sea gave up the dead, death and hell delivered up the dead, and they stood before that great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20, and they shall be judged because there's not any rainbow round about the throne there. Alright, look at the next verse, if you will. We could go on, there's plenty of references we could give you. But uh, let's look at the next verse. And we'll begin to see in verses uh, 15 through 18, the foolishness of idolatry. You know, people that worship idols are just foolish, aren't they? Can you imagine going out here and worshiping a stone or an image that's made of stone? Can you imagine like some of the... And most all of the Oriental religions are idolatrous. Uh, Buddha, various other things you could just... And of course, they, they're gaining a great following in the United States. Now, do you see on the television the other day that new temple they built, where is it, in San Francisco or somewhere in California, I believe it was, back on the West Coast? But I mean a huge, and it was a beautiful, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't top that. But, worshiping idols. You see, Jesus is a living Savior. And, all the rest of the world are idols. Men set up their idols. Someone says, preacher, that's narrow-minded. Well, if you believe the Bible, you believe all, of, all the gods of the heathen are idols. That's what you believe. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the true and living Savior, and He's the Son of the living God, and He's seated on the right hand of God, you have to admit that all of the world that sets up their uh, images and idols are idolatrous. And it's not being narrow-minded, it's being scriptural and biblical. And you can't believe both. You can't believe both. And so you have to make up your mind if you're going to believe the Bible and what God's Word says. Look what it says about this. It says in verse 15, The idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They make them. They make them. They're made by man. They're man-made. Idols are man-made. And sometimes they're after the imagination of someone's mind. Sometimes they're built upon some character or some philosophy or some theory or some uh, uh, superstition or whatever. But the idols of this world are man-made. And then it says, uh, they have mouths, but they speak not. They put mouths on them. Remember in the Old Testament where they had the, where Dagon was set up and... Uh, he fell on his face at the side of the ark. Then uh, again, something else happened and fell down and broke all to pieces the next time. But images, even with uh, mouths, they have mouths, but it says, but they speak not. Well, now we have a God that's able to speak. The Bible says that God has spoken in times past. Listen, God who has sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets... And he did in different ways to Abraham, to Moses, and through the prophets. 
hath in these last days spoken unto us by or in His Son. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. And so Jesus has revealed the Father to us and He's spoken to us the words of God. He that is of God speaketh the words of God, He said concerning Himself. The Father giveth not the Spirit by measure unto Him. The Holy Spirit. And uh, the Bible says He's anointed with the oil of gladness above thy fellows, above other people. He was fully anointed with the Spirit of God. And He spoke the words of God. And not only did He speak them out literally, but He spoke them out in His actions. So He revealed the Father. So He spoke and hath told Him out. The Bible says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath revealed, He hath revealed, He hath declared Him, it says in our version. And the word declared means He has told Him out. So in revealing the Father, He is telling us and He's speaking to us. Remember at one time it says, Jesus said, He that has seen me has seen the Father. When one said, Show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. So, they have mouths, but they speak not. And they, they have eyes they have, but they see not. God is not only able to speak to us, but God does see us. We talk about God being an all-seeing, having an all-seeing eye, and He does. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, The Word of God is quick and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now listen, does he see? Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto him, under the eyes of him, the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Sometimes folks think they get by with something. You know, they do it in the dark or in the corner or in undercover or get, get out alone. There's nothing hidden from God. God knows it all. In fact, He knows our thoughts are far off. He knows the inside. Don't ever think you're hiding anything from God. You may hide it from uh, husband and wife, brother, sister, family, son or daughter, mother, father, neighbors, friends, from society. But you're not going to hide anything from God. I remember a lady down in Mount Pleasant, Texas one time. I think I've told you this before. Some of you were not here, so I'll tell it again. Those that were here can put up with it, maybe. But she was standing in front of the theater, and boy, the smoke was just a curling up. And I came by, how Mrs. So-and-so? She'd been out of church quite a while. And you can understand why. You know, when, when you stay out of church a long time, that usually something's going on that you need to get corrected. And get back in the house of God. Anyway, that smoke was curling up. Yeah, hello, Brother Joyce. And she, I stood there and talked to her a good little while. And I, I thought she was going to catch on fire. And finally she pulled that cigarette out from behind her. I didn't care if she smoked. It's her business, not mine. It's her business. If you want to do it, do, but just don't try to hide it. And so, I'd have had more respect for her if she just went ahead and puffed on the thing. But anyway, she said, I didn't want you to see me smoke. And I said, I don't know why. I said, the Lord sees you. You know, God sees everything. And of course, I considered the fact that she was trying to show respect to me. But on the other hand, you know, you can't hide things from God. And uh, certainly we shouldn't try to hide it knowing that God is, has the all-seeing eye. And He can see everything. And by the way, when I said a little bit ago, don't take it lightly about this. He sees inside your heart. And so when we sin inwardly, if not a soul upon this earth knows about it, 
we still need to confess it to God. There may not be a soul on this earth ever know what you thought or what you've said or felt in your heart. The Bible says, he that hateth his brother without a cause. Where's that? How does that show up? Maybe not, not even show up. Is a murder. Hate. And he says, you know that no murder hath eternal life abiding in him. Okay, let's get back to this. So, sin goes deep, doesn't it? And idol, idolatry. Uh, notice the gods here. Let's talk about verse uh, 17. They have ears, but they have, hear not. They have ears, but they hear not. God is able to hear. The Bible says He hears the prayer of the righteous. In Isaiah 59, verse 1, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither His ear heavy that it cannot hear. See, God is pictured to us, though God is a spirit, He's pictured to us in human anatomy so that we may recognize His personal relationship to us. That's why we say God has eyes and God has ears and, and God... Uh, 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 accepted the offerings that were sent up to him as a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord. Well, God does not literally smell, but He is God. He is Spirit. But He's presented to us so that we can relate to Him. That's why it's called His revelation. This is God's revelation to man so that He reveals Himself in terms that we can understand. Suppose He had never used those terms. We wouldn't know what He's like concerning these things, but He uses them to indicate His likeness and His capability of understanding when we talk about ears we we know that uh, God understands about hearing and we hear one another and he hears us when we pray when we pray okay look at verse uh, 17 again neither is there breath in their mouths breath in their mouths these idols have not breath they're not spirit they're not they're not God in verse 18 they that make them are like unto them now, what does it say about those that make them? They that make the idols are like their idols. They're likened to them. So is everyone that trusts in them. You talk about how condemning and how stupid it is to trust in the material God in an idol. That shows stupidity, doesn't it? It says in verse 19, Bless, bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Here's the next few verses, verses 19 on, show that all men should praise the Lord. It says, Bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Bless the Lord, O house of Aaron. Now, Israel is a nation and a people. And then Aaron, a special chosen one to be uh, of the, the priesthood. Was, to Aaron was given the priesthood. And then it says, Bless the Lord, O house of Levi. Levi was given a place of honor. There are references for all these. Deuteronomy 10 verse 8 would be good for here. And then it says, Ye that fear the Lord, bless the Lord. All God-fearing men should praise the Lord. Ye that fear the Lord. And then it says, look at this. Blessed be the Lord out of Zion, which dwelleth at Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. All who are out of Zion and in Zion. Zion is symbolical of the house of God in many instances. So all of God's people should praise the Lord and bless the Lord for His goodness. Well, let's look at the next psalm, if you will, quickly. Psalm 136, it says, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. This is a psalm showing that God's mercy endures. You know, there are some things that cannot be exaggerated, and one of them is God's goodness. Is there anyone that could ever exaggerate how good God is? If you were to look at the goodness of God toward us, you, you would never be able to exaggerate His goodness. God has been good to me. 
God has been good to you. God was good to Israel. God was good. God is good to even the heathen because He sends them rain and food and uh, mercies that they realize realize not where they come from, and yet all in an effort to get them to turn and recognize that that God is God. It says the heavens declare the glory of God, and the, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day, other speech; night unto night, showeth uh, knowledge. It says there's no voice, no, uh, no land, there's no place. Where their language, the language of creation, is not heard. And that's God's voice from the universe and from His creation. And then God speaks to us by His Holy Spirit. And God speaks to us through conscience. And God speaks to us directly through His Word. Through His Word. So He's good. And you cannot exaggerate His mercy. We've just been talking about His mercy. We know His love cannot be exaggerated because the Bible says that God is love. It's His very... A character in essence. Love is of God and God is love. And it tells us how He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We cannot exaggerate His power. He is all-powerful. He is almighty. The Bible says there is no power but of God. There is no power but of God. Someone says, well, the devil has power. God permits it. You say, wicked men have power. God permits it. You say, I have power, only as much as God permits. And Brother Jim's saying about our strength, it's all from God, isn't it? And it's perfect. And it's perfect. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. When we talk about God's power, we think of the power of creation. You know, we've got all these theories floating around. And this, what is it? Sagan that comes on. And he's as much of an atheist as you'll ever know in your life. He believes that... Something happened way back there in time and there was an explosion and, you know, the sun went up there and the moon went over here and the stars were thrown out there and the earth came down here and on the earth, well, something happened that people started uh, from little cells, you know, and finally man became into existence, you know, and, and one of them became a monkey and one of them became a, a rabbit and another became some other thing. You believe that? Not on your life. It says, God created man after his own image and his own likeness. God breathed in the man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And man is different than all of the other beast, uh, animal creation. He's different in intelligence, in spirit, and in every sense of the word. And he made man to be a ruler over all the works of his hand. He says, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor. Thou didst set him over the works of thine hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. Everything. Man. We cannot, we cannot uh, exaggerate his greatness. We cannot exaggerate his wisdom. We'll see that in verse 5, to him that by wisdom made the heavens. And uh, we cannot uh, exaggerate His greatness. We sing a song, How Great Thou Art. We cannot exaggerate His wrath. And by the way, we're going to find in this passage all of these things coming out. That's why we use them for an introduction. We're going to talk about a mercy that endures. Look at verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Thanks is due to the Lord because He is good. And listen, verse 2 says, O give thanks unto the Lord, uh, unto the God of gods, for His mercy endureth forever. Verse 3, O give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His mercy endureth forever. Verse 1, you have Lord. 
Verse 2, you have God of gods. Verse 3, you have Lord of lords. So regardless of his title, his mercy endureth forever. You can call him the Lord. You can call him God of gods. You can call him Lord of lords. In fact, that's the title that Jesus will come back as King of kings and Lord of lords. And still his mercy endureth forever. Therefore, thanks is due unto him. In verse 1. Look at verse 4 now. To him who alone, alone is the great wonder worker. To him who alone doeth great wonders. Oh, we have, we have, we have magicians. We have guys that pretend to do wonders. And you, boy, you'll think that they've got everything fixed. And boy, they can just do those things. But if you ever had to inspect some of the mechanisms that they use, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. They've got it all fixed up to where they make you think they're doing a certain thing, sawing a guy half in two, and they're not doing any such thing. Sawing a box in two. When they suspend someone out there, you know, and they're just standing, laying up there, you know, in thin air, you know what they've got? They've got a thing they're holding them up. You say, well, they put a circle around this deal and it went all the way around. Yeah, they went halfway around, then they turn and they come back around. And there's a rod out there that's holding the thing up. All the time. That's what they're laying on. But see, they've got all these tricks. And you think, you think, well, you know, they do wonders. But God can actually do wonders. Jesus stood before the grave of Lazarus and he had been dead four days already and the sisters knew it. The neighbors knew it. The Jews knew it. And they were there bewailing the death of Lazarus. Loss of this loved one. Martha and Mary said, by this time he stinketh in that hot land he would be decaying. He would already uh, be in a bad state of, of things. And Jesus stood before that tomb and He said, Lazarus, come forth. He says, Father, I know that Thou hearest me always. But He says, for the sake of those that stand by, I said it. And He says, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says, He that was dead came forth. Been dead four days already. Bound hand and foot in grave clothes. And Jesus said, Loose him and let him go. And Lazarus sat at the table with them after that. A living human being. Only God can do that, friends. Man can't do those kind of wonders. He raised the little girl that had just died. He raised the young man, the widow of Nain's son, as he went on as, as they were carrying him to the burial in the coffin. And he returned him to his mother to take care of her. Jesus has that power. God has that power. Jesus is the Son of God. Look at this. To him who alone doeth great wonders. That's verse uh, 4. For his mercy endureth forever. Notice, after each one of these statements, his mercy endureth forever. He said, let the dry land appear. Back in the book of Genesis. In verse uh, 7, to him that made great lights, for his mercy endureth forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endureth forever. The sun is typical of the Son of God. What a miserable world this would be without the sun, without either. Can you imagine what a miserable world this would be without the sun? I'm talking about this earth, this world. And spiritually speaking, it's just as miserable for the person without Jesus Christ, without the Son of God. It says, to them that fear my name will the Son of Righteousness, S-U-N, there's a play on the words, speaking of the Son of God, but it says, the S-U-N of righteousness appear with healing in His wings. Malachi 4, verse 2. Let me see. Malachi chapter 4, 
In verse 2 it says, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son, S-U-N, but the S-U-N of righteousness arise with healing in His wings. And He's the Son of righteousness. The Son, Jesus Christ, who shall come again with healing in His wings. Speaking of Christ's second coming, and He'll heal all the ills of our world then. Have you ever imagined what it will be like when Jesus comes and heals all ills? I mean, no more drugs, no more alcohol, no more, no more sin, no more crime, no more violence. No more penitentiaries. No more pain and suffering. No more hospitals. No more need, no need for any hospitals. No more crying. No more tears. That's what it's supposed to be. That's what the Word of God says it's going to be. And you know, you and I are to look forward to it with patience and wait till that time that we either depart to be with Jesus, which is far better, the Bible says, than to remain here, or... Jesus comes again and changes everything that He's promised He will change. And this is the hope of, of every Christian. It says, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, after it tells us that the... The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And when it gets through, with all that passage of Scripture, it says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's the comfort for the child of God. You know, if we didn't believe that there was a hereafter, if we didn't believe that Jesus is coming, if we didn't believe there would be a different world someday, there wouldn't be much purpose for us being here. We'd be like the rest of the worldlings, wouldn't we? We'd just go out and do business and, and try to make the best of this world that we can. Some of them in a wicked way. Some of them in a very nice and uh, try to be a very honest type way. But still, that's all there would be to it. But with Jesus and the, the Word of God and the promises of God, and the hope of everlasting life. life, And the fact that we have the Holy Spirit within us. And every child of God has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside. In Ephesians 1 verse 13 it says, In whom ye also trusted. Listen. After that you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. It became personal to you then when you heard the word of truth. And it says, In whom ye also trusted. After you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. Were sealed. With that Holy Spirit of promise. And that Holy Spirit Himself came inside and became that seal. You say, well, does it happen to little boys and girls when they accept the Lord? Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyone that trusts Jesus has that seal. The Holy Spirit. And it's not a long time after. It's upon believing. After that you believe means simply upon believing. That the steps of salvation are in that order. Trusting after hearing the gospel of your salvation. Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The next verse says, which is the earnest, the guarantee, the assurance of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. It's God's promise and guarantee that we're going to have that purchased possession. And that is the eternal inheritance He has for us. Bodily redemption as well as soul redemption. And then He says in Ephesians 4 verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Speaking of that same Spirit, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. So we, sh we can, as Christians, grieve the Holy Spirit. But we need not do that, and we should not do that. It'd be just like when 
your parents give you uh, all the blessings that they can give you and do everything they can for you and, and try to just show their love in, a, in the greatest way and say, you're my son, my daughter, my child. Everything we have belongs to you. It's yours regardless of anything you've said or done in your life. It belongs to you. And show the greatest love and compassion and and then you do something to cause grief to that father or mother. We grieve God when He's given us so much. And we show ingratitude toward God by grieving the Holy Spirit of God. That's why you know it's, it's good if folks have a conscience and have the Holy Spirit dealing with their lives. Some people say, well, I don't want the Holy Spirit dealing with me and convicting me. I do. I want Him to tell me what's wrong. Keep it straight. I want my conscience. You know, uh, I guess... I have a conscience that worries about anything if I've done the least little thing wrong or is convicted about anything. If I've even said a word that after I realize I've gone out of the church that maybe didn't even, maybe was misunderstood by someone that I said it to. And it may not have been an intentional to hurt them, but I think, well, how did that sound? Well, I hope they wouldn't hurt by it. And I say, Lord, forgive me if they were hurt by something I said. It doesn't hurt to have a quick and easy and a tender conscience. It'd be good if we all had, wouldn't it? I hope we all do have. I trust you have. And if not, pray that God will give you a consciousness of, of right and wrong and that what, whatever you say and do uh, will be by a quickened conscience. And then the Holy Spirit comes along and He says, yes, you know, you need to make things right. And when you make them right, there's the greatest peace in the world. And even if there's nothing personally to make right with some individual, if you make it right with God, that's going to make the difference. See, you know, a lot of folks will not listen to you anyway. And sometimes the more you say, the deeper you get. Sometimes you do defend too much, don't you? But the thing about it is, if you know that uh, Paul said, as much as in you live peaceably with all men, so as much as life in you, so you can be at peace, but you may go to someone that's just uh, uh, the kind of person that doesn't make any difference what you said, say or do or try to make things right. And it may not even be your fault. It may be more their fault than yours. But you just don't want any hard feelings. And the more you say, uh, the more they uh, disrespect and, and don't want anything to do with you. So then just pray and ask God. You, you don't have to hold anything in your heart against them. They may hold something against you, but that's their problem, isn't it? When you've done everything you can do to make things right, and someone holds something against you, but the best thing all the way is to pray and confess and ask God to quicken your conscience. Where was I? What verse? We're down here. It's time just about gone. Verse um, verse 8. The sun to rule by night, night uh, by day, for His mercy endureth forever. The moon and the stars to rule by night. For His mercy endureth forever. You know, everything works that God has put into motion in creation. And the sun has its place, but the moon and the, and the stars have their place. Do they not? Because we find that they rule by night. And it's according to God's mercy. Remember, God told Israel, He says, The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. You ever heard a person being moonstruck? You ever heard of a person being called a lunatic? They're smitten by the moon. Anyway, he says, The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. 
And God's promise is around the clock provision for us. He's going to take care of us. And so Israel of old was given a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And that was a symbol of God's presence day and night. And do you know the Holy Spirit, that's typical of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is within us as a presence by day and by night. You think when we leave the church and it gets dark and you go home and about 10 or 12 o'clock tonight, well, you're in darkness and there's no guidance? No, the Holy Spirit's still there to guide. Morning, noon, and night, all around the clock. And He's there to guide us throughout this wilderness journey. And Jesus said He will never leave you. That I'm going to put Him within you and He'll be an abiding presence. And not only do we have the, uh, the Holy Spirit of God, but we have the Word of God to guide us by day and by night. Uh, the psalmist says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Where do you hide it? In your heart. And that's where we ought to hide it too, beloved. 